Eve said, If there's nothing else, there's applause. I've listened backstage to people applaud, and it's like, like waves of love coming over the footlights and wrapping you up. Imagine to know every night that different hundreds of people love you. They smile, their eyes shine, you've pleased them. They want you, you belong. Just that alone is worth anything. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Pat and Ragnar and Larry. Thanks for joining us. Pat has joined us for numerous movies made before 1973, including last week's movie, The Happiness of the Karakoris. Ragnar also joined us for numerous episodes, including Rules of the Game, Parasite, Chinatown, The Batman, and most recently, Inglorious Bastards. In fact, Pat and Ragnar are generally in competition for being the most frequent guest. Larry comes to us from his own podcast called My Favorite Movie Is which celebrates all-time classic films through fresh, positive takes from passionate movie lovers. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on mfmipodcast.com. Everyone conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. But then again, it's Tom, so we'll see how it goes. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1950 to visit Joseph L. Mankiewicz's All About Eve. Other big movies in 1950 include A Night to Remember, South Pacific, Hitchcock's Vertigo, and The Blob. All About Eve is about a theater family, and the center of this theater family is Margot, played by Betty Davis, and basically Margot probably is Betty Davis, or a theatrical version of Betty Davis. And very early on in the movie, a young female named Eve comes to her and confesses she's her biggest fan and has seen every performance of this play that she's doing. And Eve slowly ingratiates herself into this theatrical family. And as the movie goes along, we see that maybe Eve is not this innocent damsel that we might think she is. Nick, if you had one word to describe all about Eve, what would it be? Puppeteer. Pat? Snarky. Ragnar? Frenemies. What about you, Larry? Showbiz. KJ? Turnover? And my word would be family. It's time for question one. What is the name of the award that we see at the beginning and the end of the picture? Locked in. Oh, locked in. I'm so wrong. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. 
All right, Larry, since you locked in last, you have to go first. What do you have? I didn't know about that rule. Um, okay. Now you just lock in in the middle somewhere, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you lock in first, and then you think of your answer after that. Um, I have no clue. Um, but I do remember, like, part of me wants to say, the women's prize for excellence? I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to submit <laughs> Fair enough. It could be an award. Yeah. It, it could technically be award somewhere. I'm sure it is. KJ, what do you have? Oh, that was a pre-Tony. She got a pre-Tony. <laughs> was the award that she got. Fair enough. All right. Ragnar, what do you have? Well, you see, I don't know. Because it doesn't have the marketing <laughs> that the Pulitzer Prize has or the Oscars have, as our narrator tells us. But I remember it's named after a lady. And uh, it's the Sarah Pundit Award. All right. Thank you, Ragnar. Nick, what do you have? Yeah, this is probably as close as I'm going to get. The Silmarillion. (laughs) (laughs) He got it. Spot on. (laughs) It's something like that. Uh, I I think I am going to give Nick half a point for creativity. (laughs) But Pat, what do you have? (laughs) Yeah, see, I, I knew this was going to be the question, and I still forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> These are Tom questions. <laughs> it was the Sarah Chipton board. Oh, you're actually pretty close. Sarah Chiston? Chipton? Chiston? Keep working Chiston. on it. No, he's not. <laughs> he's already <laughs> What is this? He's going to keep it going. I'm going to keep it going. All right. So so this was my easy question. Um, oh, Lord. It was the Sarah Siddons Award. I knew it was something. I knew a woman was I got Sarah right. That's all I had. Yeah, an interesting fact. So if you don't know, Sarah Siddons. Do I get that half point? Seriously? Uh, I'll give you half a point. Why not? It's more fun that way. Um, But uh, yeah, Sarah Siddons was um, actually the sister of uh, Edward Keene, if anybody knows who that is. but anyway, yeah, 18th century and late early 19th century famous actress, whatever, it doesn't matter. A funny, funny story about the Sarah Siddons Award. It didn't exist until like 1952 when the Chicago theater scene in honor of this movie decided to create a Sarah Siddons Award. Oh, that's out, funny. Yeah. To which Joseph L. Mankiewicz said, did you not get the point <laughs> of the scene? <laughs> I hate these things. All you do is give like Helen Hayes an award and then she weeps and cries about it. <laughs> so naturally, the Sarah Siddons Society gave their first award to Helen Hayes, who wept and cried in honor of the award. But I, I bring this question up to talk about like uh, the, the general conceit of the film, um, the kind of feel the opening gives us, it kind of douses us in Addison's wit to start it up. And I wanted, was wondering what people thought about kind of this scene and how you were brought into this world. What I like about movies that do this where they essentially show you the ending before you see the film is that you then actually watch the movie sort of as a like, well, you're not necessarily wondering what happens, which is why I don't think it's a Game of Thrones kind of thing. Throwing back to KJ's thing, because Game of Thrones is all about what happens. You know, you know, they all hate this, this woman by the end of it. But your question is, well, why do they hate her? And so it, if you don't have that opening scene, this is a completely different movie because you don't, even the twist at the end, you know there's a twist coming because you sort of understand what's going to happen because of the opening. And when you put these at the beginning, they totally short circuit what your actually expectations are in terms of plot. 
because it's basically run out of the ground. You're no longer wondering what's going to happen. So I love that the film does that because I think those are great ways to establish this type of film. And as Tom said, I also just love the idea because so many of those, I, I don't watch the Oscars, I don't watch those things for the exact reason that I think they all are just really sort of self-serving and they're often people just kind of weeping and crying <laughs> over their own success. So um, I, I actually really, really liked that opening. Mm -hmm. uh, Patrick, I think that your point about the importance of the opening scene is, is very true because so many movies start off with the ending and then rewind to show you how we got there. And I rarely uh, feel like there's a purpose to that. It's almost just like a gimmick that rarely lands. I think this is one of the few movies where that format really does enhance the film um, because you're the entire time you're wondering how can someone that seems so lovable, so calm, so gentle, uh, draw the ire of so many people. So I, I, I really enjoyed that intro. I wasn't sure if the movie was kind of poking fun at this uh, industry or if the character was. It wasn't only until a few scenes later when you know uh, Eve Harrington goes backstage and you get to really see the backstage stuff that I realized, okay, this movie is really poking fun at uh, at the industry as a whole, not just uh, Addison. Yeah, I agree with with what you guys are saying. It reminded me a bit of the Magnificent Ambersons, sort of that aspect, like the the narration to start the film. And uh, in both cases, while I admire the intention behind it, it did sort of start the movie off on a bit of a rocky start, especially because that narration is certainly of its time and of its period. It's written very much, not only with the wit, but also with the language that's very much just of that time. And so a lot of lines, I was listening to it, and I was like, okay, that's a reference of people watching this movie in 1950, probably understood, so I'll allow it. Uh, but it... It was a bit of a rocky start, and I felt like I wasn't really getting into the film or, or getting you know cozy in it until we eventually flash back uh, and we meet uh, Eve pre-award ceremony. Um, but I do agree that I love the wit in the sort of takedown and the taking the piss out of everybody in that room, um, and I think that it it oddly sets a really nice foundation for the entire story where nobody in the in the movie is really uh nobody's hands are clean i guess by the end of the story everybody has a sort of a role to play in the tragedy of the story and that that uh, even though it's very comedic in the beginning it's sort of in a way subtextually lines that um that same feeling to start the film so that way people can get a sense that there should always be a bit of distance between them and, and all of the characters. Yeah, when I saw the opening scene, it I thought it was like a cutaway in Family Guy. Like I can imagine Family Guy, maybe The Simpsons, somebody parodying this scene, you know, cutting across the table, stopping at each person. So, in I mean, this is probably one of the first times that happened in film, maybe, maybe not the first, but it, it's probably been parodied a lot more since. Um, but Larry, I think you're right. There were a lot of, I'll call them pop culture references for the time in this movie. They, they, they talk about one guy going West, um, the husband, I guess. And they're like, Oh, don't worry. We, we've handled all the Indians as, as if like that had just kind of happened. Yeah. That was kind of a, a weird one. Yep. Um, Margo says to Eve, that dress looks very 17. I'm assuming she meant 1917. I, 
I wasn't quite sure. They talk about when Lincoln was shot. Um, they said Eve would ask for Eve would ask Abbott for Costello. Like there was a lot of very time specific. <laughs> Uh, references. I so. like that line. <laughs> yeah, no, they were lines. great. That's but... one of my favorite line. <laughs> it's time for question two. How many years older than Bill is Margot? Locked in. Locked. Yeah, locked in. We knew. Locked in. Who's who's Bill? Which one's Bill? Um, AJ, Bill is the theater director. The theater. Director. Bill is Margot's fiance. It's a numerical answer. Did you see it, it on your phone? It's that not like our numbers jokes to you. Witty thing, like um, if it's numerical. All right, locked in. All right, KJ, you locked in last. Go for it. Price is right. Um, or no? If nobody gets it, we'll do prices right. Okay. So. I guess I would say aim below oh, yeah, I got it. if you don't know the actual number. Eight? Okay, Larry, you're up next. Fourteen. Okay, Nick, you're up next. Six. Ragnar, what do you have? Eight. And Pat, what do you have? Eight. All right, very good. And KJ, Ragnar, and Pat oh, have no. gotten a point. Woo. He wasn't 30, it he was wasn't 34? Eight. He was 32. 32, and she says she's 40. I knew she was she's 40. I knew she was 40. 40. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, she was 40. Yeah, she just he looked eight years older than the other guy. I, I, that was a complete <laughs> guess. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so I brought this question forward, really, not to necessarily talk about their age, but talk about the kind of, uh, talk about Margot, um, and talk about the conflict she's dealing with and how people deal with her. This is my favorite part of the movie, especially their relationship, Margot and and Bill, their their how they fight together, um, and how believable it is that they are as a couple. Um, that this is like the perfect guy for her. He he knows how to be passive during a fight when he needs to be, and how to be aggressive during a fight when he needs to be. And I was um, interested in what you guys thought of this relationship and thought of Margot standing at the center of this film and this family. You know, for a movie called All About Eve, it's really about Margot. Uh, which is probably the first major observation that I had while watching it. Um, and one of the things that I'm still kind of pondering about the movie is that it really does center so much on her. Um, to the point that I'm I'm kind of wondering why the movie is titled the way it is and structured the way it is because her I found I found that her dramatic question and sort of the arc surrounding her character regarding her age and uh, her relationship with Bill and all of these things was really the anchor of the film and really I think what was at the center of the themes of it the whole movie is sort of about um, you know stardom and and hunger for fame and for recognition and when does the love of the art transform into vanity uh and things like that and and um i think davis's performance is incredible in the film i i this was this might have been my first movie i've seen with her in it which is like a which is honestly like long overdue because i've known so much about her and her career but she really um she has this incredible duality in her performance. She goes from being this very sassy, 
um, you know, what's that line she says where it's like, don't worry, kids, just me and my big mouth, you know, and, and that's like sort of the vibe throughout a, a good chunk of the movie. And then she gets drunk at that at the welcome back party and you see a much more somber, honest, self-deprecating version of her character. And I loved going back and forth between that and seeing her um, succumb to her own internal fears um, and then eventually finding some solace in it by the end with her relationship with Bill. I I almost wish, almost wish that this movie was really more her story and that the framing device surrounding it wasn't as Eve-centric uh, because I just found her to be the most interesting. But then we wouldn't have gotten that really good scene at the end with Eve and... Um, uh, uh, no, no, with uh, Nancy, is that her name? The so, um, the blonde, the, the new one, Karen, Karen, Karen. Oh, no, sorry, you're thinking Phoebe. of Phoebe. Phoebe is the new, no, I'm not even thinking of Phoebe. I'm thinking of Karen, the scene with Karen and Eve when they're talking in the restaurant, mm. uh, uh, Eve in the ladies' room. back, yeah. yes, in the ladies' room, yes. Yeah. Uh, that scene I think is so important to the story and has nothing to do with, or it does have something to do with Margot, but she's not a player in it, anyway. That was a tangential way of suggesting that really i think she's the main character of the movie and i think that she's really the anchor of it as i said before going back to one point you made there definitely is a duality the actress that is margot is super confident but the personal life of margot is actually much more insecure so there really is a difference between whether she's on the grand stage or in her own life in her own skin yeah that's a great point because she even says as much in the card when they're broken down. I, I, you know, I agree with you, Larry, that the movie is all about Betty Davis and, and her Margot character. But I think the reason that it is called all about Eve is because Eve, for lack of a better term, is the MacGuffin of the story. Without her being in the story, I don't think Margot would have had the progress as a character that she did or at least as quickly you know because it was each proximity that made her feel older because eve was younger you know and made her feel less wanted so i think eve prompted or accelerated margot's uh progress as a character and i'm totally with it to the to the point where at the end of the movie we focus on eve and that kind of like new girl phoebe that comes in i kind of didn't care i really didn't care I wanted to see what uh, what, what uh, Margot was up to and how her transition from letting certain roles go because she's not that young anymore and accepting a marriage, how that was going for her. I, I absolutely agree that that she is the, the center of the movie. And I don't think Margot would say this movie is all about Eve, but in her not saying <laughs> not. that, I think that's proof that it is all about Eve, right? That's, from Margot's perspective, it's all about Margot, but not really the whole thing centered around the, the new person showing up. And I think that's why the movie worked. Yeah, I think Eve is like the the chemical that was added to an established group that was kind of stagnant. And her addition just really prompted a lot of changes in that those in those people. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in, in my experience, at least in the theater, that happens when a new, and this is especially true in college because mm -hmm. people are moving <laughs> out. There is a there is a literal process of people moving out and new people moving mm -hmm. in, and that really happens. <laughs> um, and so 
I found Margot's, especially her character development, at least a little less interesting. I thought that especially towards the end, she becomes a little trite. Mm-hmm. The thing where I'm going to be happy with my marriage and this is, wh- and, a, and a woman's only a, a woman when she has a man beside her. Like that felt- This was 1950 movie. I know. Right? That's true. <laughs> this is, this is- There's a time capsule here. Propaganda though. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is very yeah. really yeah. interesting. Is that's not For what she is in the beginning, mm-hmm. but that's what they do to her by the end. So- the ending of her character arc is less interesting than the beginning of her character arc, um, at least in my opinion. And I do think I agree with the the comparison to her is almost a MacGuffin because it isn't all about Eve, but it's really not all about Eve until you get that scene at the end with Phoebe, which I also agree I don't really like. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessary and I don't think it really contributes. And I think that's when I started looking at my watch, especially when my kids were about to wake up. I also don't think it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because Margot had a whole career. Eve had one show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that, the, the parallel there just doesn't work. No, the parallel didn't work. The scene didn't work. Like the the it, it, there was a lot of problems with mm-hmm. it. But but I just I don't have a problem with Margot's character. I do have a problem where they stick her at the end because that mm-hmm. felt very unnatural for her character. When, so they, Patrick, when she actually st- turns down that role, even I hadn't seen it, and I went, what? <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> and it was, so that you, struck you feel me like as it, very much a 1950s thing of this is what we do in this type of film. And it felt very artificial. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I don't think it ruined the film. I think you just kind of ignore it and pretend it's not there. I just want to ask you a question, because it is a monumentally important scene. So do you, and you answered it before. Kind of got to ask it. So you feel like it didn't feel authentic to the character? No. Okay. Or, or, or do you feel like the character within itself wasn't really believing what she was saying? I don't think that they had prepared the character to, to that type of transition. Gotcha. There was very little up to that point that would indicate to me that that character would make that type of decision. Gotcha. It felt like it was imposed on the on the script. All right, here we are at the end of round one, and we have a three-way tie with Pat, Ragnar, and KG at one. Nick is right behind with a fraction, and Larry is catching up. I'm almost sure of it. 0.5, by the way, that fraction. 0.5. Yeah, 0.5. <laughs> Nick is very proud of that his That is fractions. technically second place. Currently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can Nick get into first place? Can Larry get into second? We'll find out when we get right back after this break. Hello. And welcome back to B-Side. To B-Side. To B-side. Finally... It is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia.
And we're back. It's time for question three. What does Margot tell Bill to stop calling Eve? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. I think they're going to get it. And by I think they're going to get it, I'm talking about everyone who already locked in. <laughs> All right, locked in, but I, I don't think it's the right answer. Yeah, locked in. All right, sorry, Larry, you locked in last. You have to go first, as is the rule yeah. you just learned. So what answer do you have? Yeah. <laughs> um, is it the kid? I think that's my answer, the kid. All right, KJ, what do you have? Ah, oh, Larry, I think you're right. I had the girl, but I knew that wasn't right. They don't say the girl, but the girl. All right, Pat, what do you have? I went with child, but... Oh, no! <laughs> Nick, what do you have? The kid. All right, and Ragnar, what do you have? Larry, Nick, I'm on your team, kid. All right, and the answer was... The kid. Oh, yeah. There All it is. Right. Larry's on the board. I'm not going to lie, Tom. Yeah. You had way too much faith in me going into this round. But yeah. I made it to the board, and that's yeah. all I need to be. Yes, and technically you were in third place, which is, you know, pretty close to second place. So well done. And uh, I brought this question forward to, you know, introduce more of, you know, the, the conflict between... Eve and you know the theater family and whatnot and how um, how the boulder starts to roll down the mountain so to speak and what people thought about that did you uh, find it interesting or convincing did you find the little ways in which they indicated who Eve was earlier on in the picture to be compelling etc what did you think of it I thought it was great I told my wife it was great and I wish I watched this movie with her, but as you can see from when we did the first impressions last week, I just barely finished it before our episode. The way they laid it out, even though you kind of got wind of what was coming slowly and surely, perfect. And the only scene where we really are starting to disclose her deceit is when she's in the dressing room and she gets upset that one of her tries to advance on the director doesn't go the way she expected. She kind of rips out her costume. That's the first time we see she's a little bit out of control. And I loved it. I love Birdie because I love that she gets it very early. Because what it, what it seems to be often that happens is that the, except for Addison, the people only actually start to realize who she is when she threatens them. So Birdie immediately feels threatened because she's the assistance person and Eve is coming into that role. So it's only when the person tries to step into their own individual roles that they notice what she actually is, except for Addison, which I love the fact that he's the only one that is never once fooled by her. So I think that that's interesting that the way that that's oftentimes the way her character acts actually unfolds at least how other people begin to realize who she is pat that's because they're both killers or champions or champions i get my boxing to <laughs> so here's where i'm going to bring up uh game of thrones the song of ice and fire so go. if you don't want spoilers go 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 watch the show okay cersei was based off of her is that what you're telling me <laughs> no no so so pat earlier you were saying um 
either what you like about Game of Thrones or how you've heard Game of Thrones is defined. It's about what happens. But for me, it's more of George R. R. Martin has taken these classic characters and told their stories, but if you know the details, it's actually quite different. And that's kind of what Eve is as well. So if you take Tyrion, who's a dwarf in Game of Thrones, he's kind of a court gesture. If you tell his story in a certain way, that is, he's at court, but nobody takes him seriously. He's silly. He's accused of killing the king. Um, he must have done it because then he disappears right after. So he's this evil little dwarf. But if you see it from Tyrion's perspective, you would never think any of those things. And if you tell Eve's story, it's she's this wide-eyed girl who was at the theater every day, and then she happened to be in the right spot at the right time, um, got to hang out with Margot, and then she became an incredible actress. And and that's the, the, the story of the... That's everybody's dream of how to become an actor or actress, um, or at least one way to, to do it. But then when you know the details of what Eve actually did, it's it's much more terrible. It's, it's, it's much more horrible. But the difference is that Tyrion is not manipulating people. That's why I made a joke about <laughs> Cersei. The story, the story sure. is no, no, really. different. But, but the point is, is that the perspective that you see from him, he's not manipulating people into thinking these things about him. She is. True. But then, um, as Nick's pointing out, so Cersei's kind of a good character, Littlefinger. Like, you, you can go to the, the different tropes of those characters and, 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 find, and find that. what that type of character is. I don't know if it's connected. KJ, I see what you're saying in terms of, like, perspective and how you tell a story. I, I, I totally get that. And I do see they're similar there. I'm just not sure why you'd pick Game of Thrones to do that. Many movies. Because he likes Game of Thrones. <laughs> Rashomon most famously did that. I was that. about to say Rashomon, yeah. So many movies, books. Well, in, I mean, in, Game of Thrones is yeah, the weirdest in, choice in, to pick almost. <laughs> Which is in line with what I would expect from you. So, <laughs> Rashomon, I don't remember that well, but it's different perspectives of the same uh, thing that happened. But I don't feel like they had agendas like most of the characters in A Song of Ice and Fire have. Like, you, you, had. like their personalities didn't change, perhaps? It, it's more of, again, the agenda, right? Everybody's trying to get the throne. She's trying to become the best actress. No she's matter what it takes. Climbing. Right. She's a killer. She's a champion. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to agree with Pat on this. I thought he was going to agree with KJ. No, I was going to say, I'm going to agree with Pat on this. <laughs> I, I think one of the things, maybe that hasn't jumped into the conversation yet, but is important for this distinction is that, and this is my word, was family. And what I think is so appealing about this movie more than Eve is just how realistic this theater family is. This is really familiar for my my days in theater and our days at, at Holy Cross doing theater, um, these people aren't really trying to manipulate their way to the top. And we can make an exception for Addison, but even Addison, like, yes, he's a jerk, but he's their jerk, right? Um, yes, we get the end that he kind of reveals he's a psychopath, but he's still invited to the party and, and whatever. Like Eve really is the one who's trying to manipulate her way to the top. I don't get the impression and Addison doesn't give us the impression that Margot ever did that or that Richard. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me interrupt them. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Who's the, the playwright's wife? Karen. Karen. She's yeah. playing games this yeah. whole time. Karen's calling people. She's putting uh, pranks. She, she ciphered no, gasoline no, 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 out of no, no, a car. Who might... But she's not doing it. Yes, she's she's, she's not doing it to doing manipulate that. herself. Yeah. But she's, she's trying to manipulate the Karen is not a Machiavelli, right? That's the difference. Like some <laughs> yeah, like no, she, she's she's not doing it out of out of like advantageous regions. She's doing it in support of 
Eve because they have a, a friendship and a genuine like relationship. It's advantageous. Yeah, and Margot needs a kick in the butt. It right. is advantageous. Both, although to be to be honest, though, that was one of the one moments in the in this movie that I did not like. It felt surprisingly out of character to me for uh for, for Nancy to be doing that. And the plot point was not super well established to have motivation for that or conveyed very well, in my opinion. Uh, and I I want to just I just want to hop on KJ's back for just a little bit because I, I I get where a lot of you guys are coming from, but I mentioned in my first impressions that one of the things that I liked about this movie, which is sort of putting me in conflict with a lot of other things I didn't like about this movie, is that uh, and speaking to Tom's point about the theater family, this is a story about all of these characters and how their in relationships intertwine. Like every character has a relationship with every other character. And there are multiple scenes in which we see all of these relationships develop. So kind of like, and, and, and some of these characters aren't privy to the relationships of other characters. Like Karen and Eve and their relationship is not something that any of the other characters until later on the film are really privy to. And it did give it this sort of like epic, grander scale that is reminiscent of Game of Thrones. This idea that all these other characters are working with each other in different ways and they're going to collide and intersect and it it even though i in my previous this kind of contradicts my previous comment which is that i sort of wish that the movie was all about margo but there is value in that everybody gets a lloyd you know bill uh everybody that we mentioned before they all get moments to forward their character um even like marilyn monroe's character feels like an active player in the story considering she has like 10 minutes of screen time maybe 15 um and that's something i really liked about it and so i i want to give kj a little bit of support because i i get the vibe i get the vibe thank you larry thank you we should wrap it all right all right cool Sorry. What were we going to say, Ragnar? Go, go for it. I was going to say, I, and I don't come from this. I was trying to give KJ like a good ad ending there. So. AJ doesn't deserve a good I don't want to give it to him, no. <laughs> no, no. Even KJ would. I mean, we all just <laughs> on his idea, except for Larry, who was nice enough to like give him a nod. <laughs> and then you're going to be like, you know what? You're wrong. Larry's response. <laughs> <laughs> Ragnar's like, wait, but if I could just a little bit more. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, KJ sucks. <laughs> Don't you guys agree? <laughs> uh, I'll say real quick. Um, and, and I want to see if you guys felt the same way. And I'm starting to think maybe you don't. Uh, I do understand that there's a theater family. And I understand that Eve went, was very manipulative and went far. But when the twist happened, I didn't really think she was that bad of a person because in my mind, everybody else has had their eve moments to get to where they are so i felt they're all just as manipulative in this small little like inbred group um i don't think it's a family like oh we're buddies because uh the playwright lloyd uh wasn't he uh two minutes away from leaving his wife and running away with eve to forward his career uh so i do think to me it was just like it just Eve showed just how backstabbing and conniving the whole industry is, not just her. I think that's true, except for one exception, because there is one there is one thing that that even Addison throws her under for, 
and that's her fake story about her dead husband mm -hmm. that he says that's an insult to those who lost those who died during the war and i right. think right. that's one of the things where she goes too far and i think there are just instances throughout where she goes a little further than others would have gone yeah is she lloyd isn't i didn't read that lloyd was leaving his wife for her no that was fake that I was something that, she was trying she to just, sure she to said that was it but then well, no, no that's because a addison that's a says point. yeah it's a yeah, ploy and addison says you know, um, Lloyd may leave Karen, but he will never leave Karen for you. And I, I got the impression that- Wait, that... was that Game of Thrones? Ad Addison? Addison? Yeah. Maybe KJ <laughs> was right. Maybe this is Game of Thrones. Yeah, so I, I still, I'm gonna defend no this idea of like, there is a difference between like the family who's, you know, somewhat dysfunctional, somewhat functional, and the problems that sponsors and the kind of jealous rise to the top. Um, they're, when they fight, they're sort of able to get over it and hang out. Like, I love the, the, the scene when Lloyd's like, I had it up to here. And then Karen's just like, well, you know, we're gonna be going away together for the weekend. And he's like, well, we've had weekends where we didn't talk before. And they just kind of get over it and move on, right? Because they've just been together for so long. I got that impression and that any kind of what we're calling backstabbing really isn't backstabbing. It's just like mis, um, misdirected energy. I think there is a clear family unit that is working and Eve violates that. I don't think there's mm -hmm. like everybody's a backstabber or something like that. I think it's just kind of people kind of do the wrong thing, but it's very different from deliberately betraying someone, which is what even to a little degree, to, to a slight degree, what a Addison does as well. She upset the equilibrium. Equilibrium? Question for that one. It's time for question four. According to Addison, what does Marilyn Monroe's character, Claudia Caswell, have? Locked in. Locked in. Locked, Locked in. in. I'm really glad I got that first question with eight. Um, lock, locked in. All right, KJ, what do you have? She'd be really good on TV. It's all auditions. I'm, I'm grasping. All right, Larry, what do you have? A great personality. All right, Ragnar, what do you have? Yeah, looks. All right, and Nick, what do you have? She's got Moxie. <laughs> Jesus, okay. Uh, and Pat, what yeah, do you have? I have no idea, but I do know that she that he says that producers look like sad rabbits, and that was a <laughs> <laughs> So no one got that one? No one got it. Oh, my God. It was my favorite line in the movie. What? And what did she have? You have a point. An oh. idiotic one, but a point. Oh, okay. oh that's well, that Tom. Context. You gotta oh, invite right. me back when KJ or Nick are writing the question. Yeah. Let's, let's, we, let's do a bonus. Let's do a bonus. <laughs> no, 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 we should end it here. I think I'm winning here. Does she have a point? No, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, that was a great question. That was a great question. Yeah. I support you. Yeah. Oh, I support you. We should go bonus. It's time for 
a bonus question. According to Addison, what was Eve Harrington's audition full of? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in, but but again, I have no idea. All right, KJ, give us your your best joke, I suppose. The, <laughs> have you guys seen Mahon Drive? Yes, yeah, a long right. time ago. Love that movie. Right? There's an audition Absolutely. scene in that. Yeah. And I forget what they say, but maybe it's the same thing they say in this movie. Nah. We didn't get to see Eve's audition, but so I'm going with whatever they said in Mulholland Drive. Oh, but you don't know what they said in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> Somehow you still fail to answer answer. the question. <laughs> you failed twice, actually, you know? <laughs> So KJ is now down to zero points. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick, what do you have? Spirit. All right, Pat, what do you have? Fire and brimstone. Larry, what do you have? Grace and beauty. And Ragnar, what do you have? Full of uh, fire and music. Oh, God. Dang it, Ragnar. All right, and Ragnar wins the episode. It was Douglas. Music. Fair and square. Let's go. And I'll give 1.5 points. Great. Um, (laughs) Lifting him into a tie with Nick for second place. All right. All right. I'm in good company. Very good. (laughs) All right. I I remembered it because Eve Eve met Eve mimics it several times in her tirade uh, like a few minutes later or margo does yeah i'm sorry margo sorry yeah that was going to be one of the questions was how many times does margo actually repeat those adjectives four times yeah it's something like four or six i was going to count but then i didn't feel like it um so we end up getting this question all right and so i brought this question forward not so much to talk about that particular tirade or ease audition but my favorite character in this movie addison dewitt um I will say, and I'll bring this out there and wonder if hopefully people will disagree with me. I find that last scene in the hotel room in this viewing slightly less convincing than I did in previous viewings. However, I absolutely adore this performance um, that won George Sanders the, the Oscar back in 1950. And I was wondering what people thought of his character, thought of that, that scene when he confronts Eve in the hotel in New Haven etc go for it so do you mean you didn't find the scene between eve and addison convincing the um this idea of like at the end him revealing himself as kind of a psychopath as having no human feeling or like or, or being completely misanthropic as well as well as also um this sort of what appeared to me as sexual domination i think i mean he's just like I can't even believe I still want you, but I, I can't even believe I still want you, but I do. Um, I, all of that I found not exactly convincing, not only the, the, the sexual stuff, but also him as not having any kind of human feeling. I think he's a jerk and he's, he's an a-hole, but he's still invited to the party. And I don't think that necessarily works if he is completely devoid of feeling for these people who put on theater, especially since we see how much he loves theater. He describes it as like, he's been devoted to it like a Trappist monk, you know? And and that stuff, I kind of felt in tension with his um, self-description at the end there. I'm not sure if it's a total stretch though, because he's like an eccentric 
critics. So he still plays in those scenes and you can have people who maybe he had bad reviews for, but he's still going to be invited to the party because he's part of that world. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it was out of character. That is a very strong scene, something we hadn't seen from them, especially when he slaps her across the face. Like there is this dominance factor that comes into play, but he's saying that they're actually well-matched because of their, you know, their methods, if you will. I guess I didn't have an issue with it because... A, I didn't totally get that he was devoid of feelings, but I guess in, in with regards to his feelings towards them, I sort of interpreted it more that, because they make references, and I love, like, even Margot, I think, does the thing where she refers to herself as being a piano, and she's being played upon, and the other person wrote the concerto. Like, so if you are a critic... That line came from Lloyd, right? That was yeah, great. One of the yeah. best lines yeah. of the movie. Yes, I love that line. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but yeah, but so sorry, it's from Lloyd. But I think they say, but I think she doesn't she refer to herself as being the piano or some point. I thought she said something about that. Too. After that, she, yeah. she mentions it to the director, Bill the pianist. The pianist, yeah. Mm -hmm. So she calls him the pianist, and he says, yeah. So the the idea, though, no matter how we're looking at it, that they that some individuals see themselves as instruments and others see themselves as being played upon by other individuals, and some of them being the piano. You know, there's this idea that they each see each other in some ways as being instruments upon which another one of them plays. So for the critic who is completely outside of it, and he very objectively says at the beginning that I am outside, I do not toil, I do not actually do these things. He does see them all as being instruments upon which these things are being played. So to him, as far as the theater goes, they are objects. So he doesn't, with as far as he considers them within the theater, so outside of the theater, there might be individuals, but he's only considering themselves as objects of the theater, in which case they are objects to him. Mm -hmm. So I didn't find that scene to be particularly problematic. I think the movie needs it because otherwise Eve is the smartest person in the room. Without that, you don't, you don't have the final boss of the video game. You don't have the, the, the last trick um, that the director's uh, showing us, right? Otherwise, Eve just kind of got away with everything, but in reality, was even control like she thought she was? Uh, probably not, because Addison seemed to have figured out her game and played it better. So I also think that scene was required for that. Worked with her, too, because his words propelled her. That's what I wanted to say. I think when he, when Addison started saying, hey, look, I'm going to write favorably about, about you, he was laying the seeds for that. So I was not surprised at that turn. In fact, I, I felt it was coming once he saw that she was trying to get with a bill and that failed. And then he saw a chance, moved in. Let's go out to dinner. I want to discuss your life and all this stuff. He perpetuated a lie that he knew was a lie just because he was closing his uh, grip around Eve. And you know, that was his way of controlling the industry in a way. And, and not to go back to what we were disagreeing upon earlier but i think that's another indication that it's not like a happy family unit even you know we just step on each other's toes it's just a matter of when do you get your moment to be eve and that was his moment so to speak uh, it's just those are the ones we see see i want to push back on that a bit ragnar because i am and this also sort of pushes back on tom even though you both have contrasting points um but uh fun <laughs> yeah that, that, let me start off by making it more confusing um 
Addison to me was never a part You're of the, the third family. party candidate in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Addison really is sort of not part of the family. I never took Addison to really be a member of the club. He always sort of felt like the annoying sort of like, okay, he's here because he's the critic and like he tags along everywhere because he's part of society at large, but he's not like he's not a part of our family. Like the family's really like Margot, Lloyd, Bill, and Nancy, the four of them at the end. That's really the family to me. Um, and uh, Addison always sort of felt like a bit of an interloper, which is why it makes sense that he takes advantage of Eve uh, because he, it, it feels like he never really had the family's best interest at, at heart. They don't, they don't, he only really had his best interests but of course he eventually comes around to it once he realizes he can put eve under his own thumb as well so he can push himself even even further so addison always felt like sort of the shoulder devil in the in the community he never really felt like a part of the family to me it's time for movie Ren. I again i didn't know very much about this movie and i actually didn't really have that much time to research the movie and delve into it like i normally do uh when i see a movie that i really like but one thing i did read was that this was the i think this is right now the only movie in oscars history to have been nominated for four female performances in the film. I think four of the female performances were nominated, two in Best Actress and two in Supporting Actress. I can't recall which were which. I don't know if Tom, I don't know if you Betty, know that it's, offhand. It's Margo, well, I mean, I can assume Betty was Margot, Eve, Birdie, and Karen. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and also um, Thelma Ritter, who played Birdie, has the record for most nominations for Best Supporting Female <laughs> um, with five. But anyway. Which is too appropriate, too mm -hmm. appropriate. Um, but I feel like that was actually a very important thing. And I feel like it, like, it solidified this idea for me while watching it that, to me, this movie really... Uh, felt like it was a lot about women and like how we value women in entertainment and in show business and and um, sort of how the sort of the it's a very multifaceted thing like Margot believes that she's getting older and that her time has is, is starting to fade away from her and and based on all the preconceptions that have been projected onto her she feels like she's losing that stardom even though everybody around her is telling her that like she's a star she's a great performer like yes you're a little you're getting older but like that doesn't take away from your talent and eve is here as this young beautiful uh almost uh damsel-esque character until we realize her her deeper motivations and to me this whole movie is sort of about relationships between women the infighting that sometimes occurs between women when when they put their um their career and their rise to fame over each other and i i really love birdie's character because i am birdie like when i was watching this i knew the general can see going in but i'm watching this movie watching birdie and i'm like oh birdie we we know like we know what's going on here and it's i knew you look familiar yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it was like it was just very much like a moment where i was like okay so she represents something Margot represents sort of this self-loathing karen is sort of the just full of love the person who just gives her love to 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 the to the girl who she sees as disenfranchised and there's eve who is sort of the manipulative one like it just it, it represents so many different 
um, identities that I have found in women in entertainment as somebody who, who uh, did theater in college, but also went to school for film, uh, has done some work in the film industry, has talked to a number of actresses and, have, and has worked with a number of actresses. This movie is, the, I think the movie, the reason why this movie is still fairly timeless uh, at the core is because it, it centers itself around all of those themes. And so to see all of the women in this movie be nominated and recognized for that feels very symbolic. And um, I hope that one day there is another movie that can um, take that, can, can tie it for that record because... I think that this movie, oddly, I, th I think a lot of movies from this period, many people would say are outdated uh, and, and many people have difficulty watching because they don't represent women in a, in a, uh, in a modern progressive way. And now obviously we, Eve, not Eve, Margot has that moment where she goes, oh, I am going to get married. That's my place now. And that's not an ideal place for the story to end. Um, it, in a sense of progressive politics, it's not, it can definitely be looked down upon. But I don't think that that beat is a bad character beat. I think that it was in some ways kind of beautiful to see a character find a sort of self-awareness. It was rushed and I felt like it could have been delivered a little bit better, but it just is another part of the, the, um, the, the, the spectrum of female identity is what I'll call it in this movie that I think was just really fascinating and it seems to have left its imprint on history. I think it's very true. The only issue I had with it was that it reminded it's, and Tom probably knows this. Has anybody here ever seen or read Chekhov's The Seagull? It's it's very. That's what Tom has. We were in it. We were both in it together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had a bigger role than me, uh, but uh, <laughs> I was older. I was more mature. I also had a great beard in that. Sexy as hell. <laughs> but the issue is, is it has a lot of elements, at least of that. So the, it's sort of an idea that's, and I guess this is what I found interesting is it's an idea that was explored at least in Chekhov in 1896 or something. So, and then it's still, you know, this is only 60, 50 years later or so, and it's carried through to there. We don't really get to see that as much nowadays that that sort of dynamic doesn't get explored as much. Um, Arkadina, right? Is, you're talking Arkadina, yeah, mm -hmm. and um, whatever her name is, the seagull. Oh, Nina. Nina. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But um, I do think that there was there was clearly a sort of focus during that time period, at least in that fifty years or so, where that's a dynamic that between women and sort of younger women and older women that got explored quite a bit. And I'm not sure you see films nowadays that have that dynamic anymore. At least I can't think of any. Yeah, I I can't think I'm, you know, I'm, I think like you, Pat, maybe not as expert in the more modern, modern films. films. No. Um, so I will have to cast it to, 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 to these fools we're podcasting with. Um, but yeah, that, that's a really interesting comparison. They like, if you read The Seagull, it's about an aging actress who's dating a writer who's like, becoming interested in this younger actress and she's like completely obsessed despite her fame and success with her age like she's she's reached middle age and is incredibly concerned about that um 
Yeah, I can't think of another thing where you see that kind of tension dynamic. With, I just can't think of any films yeah. that do that anymore. Um, this is the age difference is not as stark, but Black Swan comes to mind. Yes, it's uh, Aaron Aronofsky horror film with Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis. The age difference again is not that drastic, from what I recall, and that movie takes it to very different uh, extremes. Um, but that is another that is a movie that I can think of, and I know there are a couple of movies in the back of my mind that certainly put age into the conversation though it may not necessarily be the prominent thing i think of something like a devil wears prada which also sort of puts two women at odds with each other i think women at odds with each other is not something that has ever gone away i think there are plenty of movies that are about that but in terms of the age dynamic i think that is a subtlety that is much more present in movies of this era because i think that we're in an era right now where we revere a lot of older actresses like we have people like meryl streep helen mirren judy dench like a lot of like a lot of older actresses who people like are like inspired by and there are plenty of roles for them like they find like they find their way into the industry and they're they're not leaving anytime soon um and so i i think maybe that there was an obsession with that in this previous era that uh, they weren't treated as well, I think. Betty Davis was still, or, or not Betty Davis, Betty White was still being <laughs> <laughs> adored. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's a good point. Hmm. Well, this movie may have been all about Eve, but this episode was all about Ragnar, who took it down. Congratulations, Ragnar. Thank you. And that's about as good a transition as we can do. I was pretty proud of that transition. <laughs> that wasn't was bad. Well, well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was great. No, yeah, good segue. So I did last week on Happiness of the Katakuris, Pat won the episode and then won again in bonus time, just like Ragnar did this week. He won the episode and then we threw another question and he won just again. Rightfully heavy done. lifting. Yeah. Done. I have to win twice, basically. You want to make sure yeah. it's a valid win if you're going to take it down. Double champion. I like it. Double champion. You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. What is your favorite Addison DeWitt line? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. What a great conversation. Thanks, thanks, guys. Fun as always. Guys, it's been a pleasure, as always, being your number one guest. It's it's a great, great time. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Uh, guys, it's been so much fun being here. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that I also have a podcast about movies. And if you enjoyed this conversation about All About Eve... My podcast, my favorite movie is. Uh, we also covered a classic movie from a few years prior to this. We've covered Casablanca on the show, which is one of my all-time favorite uh, classic films. Uh, we had a great discussion about Casablanca and how it is still just as modern uh, and prescient as it was back when it was first released. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. My favorite movie is. There is an ellipsis on that. Or you can go to our website, MFMI Podcast. Dot com. That is how you properly pronounce those four letters uh, together <laughs> in the podcast link, Nick. For Sounds like reference. you've done that before. Uh, I might have a couple of times, but I hope to be back on very soon. I might uh, have to challenge Pat and uh, Ragnar for most oh. uh, appearances because I, uh, I had a blast, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, too, Thank with you, all good. you guys. <laughs>
You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. And yes, I have a Talking Pictures Trivia B-side that's coming out. So please check out our sister podcast, Talking Pictures Trivia B-side. I know we haven't had a, a show in a little while, but I promise you one is coming. You can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time we discuss another one of Nick's recommendations from the New York Times 1000 list, 1981's Prince of the City. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Prince of the City. Tom, how was your watch? This is the first time I watched this. This will be the last time I watched this movie. Um, Sidney Lumet is a weird cat, man. I mean, like, there's movies of his I really love. Like, you think of 12 Angry Men or, or Serpico. Or he did that wonderful version of um, Long Day's Journey into Night with, with Catherine Hepburn. It's great. I, I mean, it's four hours long, but you should invest the time. It's a great, great movie. And God, you get a movie like this and it, I, I had a rough time with it. I did watch it on my computer with my new speakers. So I had nice speakers, bad visual. Um, but I, this movie was kind of grueling to get through. And I think part of the problem is like, just because something isn't, is morally ambiguous, doesn't mean it's more interesting <laughs> like moral ambiguity on its own is not a very compelling idea um he's kind of a bad guy he's kind of a good guy we could say that over and over for three hours and, and really not not build on that idea and also the performance is really weird treat williams's performance i don't know what you guys think man it is a it's a real like swinging for the fence every time he's he's on screen and this dude is never off screen so yeah you can imagine his lats were probably very tired by the end of this this performance steve how was your first watch i uh from a nostalgia standpoint and a genre standpoint loved this movie with the possible exception of the length i understand they were you know, they took this, the, the book and made it the screenplay. And um, I think they should have condensed it, could have done the same thing in less time. But I'm a huge fan of these movies. So think now, remember at this time, between being 13 and 20 years old, I watching French Connection, Bullet, The Seven Ups, Taking of Pelham, One, Two, Three, Serpico, Fort Apache, The Bronx, which is a movie a lot of people forget about. It's the Dirty movie. Harry movies, yeah, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, these other ones. So I actually, at first, I was shocked that I never saw this movie. Um, it just slipped, it slipped by me. Anyway, um, I I liked it. That moral ambiguity. Constantly, I'm I'm a big fan of allowing myself to feel sympathetic towards someone who I really shouldn't be feeling sympathetic. Right? Classic, you know. Um, um, struggle when watching movies about criminals and things like that and corrupt people you know who are the bad guys and who are the good guys and also that wonderful style of that time with uh dark lighting especially as you go through the movie it's getting you know darker and grittier so big fan of that um uh so i was drawn to that general theme of really trying to decide you know whether the main character Right, you know, 
wavering back and forth as, as whether I'm sympathetic or, or not sympathetic. And um, the weirdness, it's really interesting you brought that up, Tom, because that weirdness is something I'm drawn. I like that weirdness. There are times where you're watching Treat Williams and thinking, is this part of his acting or is he like tripping? Is he, there's a scene where he's sitting there bouncing his leg and he's like absolutely losing his mind and it's a little over the top. But um, that minus, I really think they could have done this well in two hours and not 245, but um, uh, that's my first impression. How was your watch, KJ? I I really liked it, guys. I hadn't heard of this movie before uh, Nick recommended it. Um, it is a long movie, uh, like you guys are saying. And the lead actor, um, you know, Tom, you talked about 12 Angry Men. I'm, a, I'm assuming it's, I will say, the good version of 12 Angry Men. But Prince of the City reminded me of the Tony Danza version of 12 Angry Men. Like, I just, I almost felt like I was watching a, a Tony Danza <laughs> performance the whole time. It was, I, I don't know. I, I liked that. I liked a lot of the, the framing of the shots. I got to say that. Um, I don't know if I could have sat through it in one one shot. I definitely broke it up. Um, and I, it just, it was a fun movie of a bunch of, you know, everybody's Italian. All the cops, all the cousins, everybody. Uh, Gus, Gus is Jew. Gus, Gus is Jewish. Okay. We got an exception there, but even Gus was kind of Italian. Kind of Italian? Do you mean a New Yorker? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah, Philly, Philly. <laughs> And New York Jews are quasi-Italian. I mean, that's, you know, they're in the same, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, audience, I, I encourage you to go find this film. I, I really enjoyed my three hours with it. How about you, Nick? So by recommendation, uh, really all I did was pick a, a random film from this New York Times Top 1000 Films to See list that I've been going through. So I had never seen it before either, even though I brought it to the show. Surprisingly, I bet you some of you thought I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it because it's super long, but somehow it did keep my interest and I don't even know why. I almost feel like they were filming like a whole series of like law and order, but just decided to put them all together and make it a movie. So it, it had that vibe. And I don't watch a lot of those like modern cop shows, but that, that's what I felt, especially since there are scenes and parts that are kind of choppy. And they'll just like throw some people's IDs up and then move on. Or they'll even be in like a court scene and they'll just be minutes or half hour just disappeared without really explaining it. So that's what I think. I think this was supposed to be a full TV series and they thought they could make more money throwing it all together as a movie. This movie is not available anywhere. <laughs> you can't get it. You have to listen to us. Otherwise, you will get nothing from this movie. But that Thank was a you. pretty good impression of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you about it. You don't need to watch it. It'll be a lot shorter. It'll be better for you. Just Except listen. for Tom's B-side, which is five hours long. <laughs> So I thought Nick was doing this one. So when I was watching it, I was getting ready for Nick questions, not Tom questions. So I just want to. <laughs> are, are you saying there's a difference, KJ? Or that you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Like... There's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Are you saying Nick's questions are like, was Betty Davis in this movie? Right. Whereas Tom's like, according to Pauline Kale. <laughs> <laughs> Tom said he was going to do only timestamp questions. 
because it was yes, supposed to be it's mine. only only time scan questions and questions oh, no. about Kenny Loggins. That's that's a Nick, that's a Nick question. I did see Top Gun oh. Maverick a few days ago, so I feel like I'm prepared for this. Oh God, how was it? Oh, it was awesome. I can't wait to see it next weekend. Oh Lord, we should do a podcast on that. And... Is Kenny Loggins in it? <laughs> Are we gonna skip the sequel thing? Or why don't we skip it now? We'll do it at the end, and then we'll see if it fits in fits or we'll put it the... somewhere else or something. Nobody wants to discuss all about Steve. I had the same <laughs> joke. I had the same <laughs> joke. <laughs> and I thought of the joke first, and I was like, how can I write a movie around this joke? 